KQED. Hey everyone, I'm Emmanuel. I'm Carly. And I'm Jamidra. And we're the hosts of The, the Cooler. Cooler. This week, we'll be remembering our public media roots and talking about the books the great American public said they love most and the novels that had an impact on our lives. Us Weekly. <laughs> you know that's not a novel. What? <laughs> and we're also going to be remembering some of the most jump sharkiest television episodes of all time. Stay out of the water. Mm. And we're going to cancel the dudes of Arrested Development. They deserve it. And celebrate some clever seniors and a Swedish pilf. That's Prince I'd like to, you know, for those not fluent and thirsty. Is it just me, or does finding time to read a damn book suddenly get really hard when you're a legit grown-up, as I believe all three of us are? I may not be a legit grown-up, but I play one on this podcast, (laughs) and it does get difficult to read. I will agree, yes. I'm going to be super insufferable right now and say that actually this morning, this very morning... Oh, here we bloody go. I finished a book... That I've been reading for seven months. <laughs> I was going to say, if you if you had said, like, I just started it at 7 a.m. No, no, no. and finished it at 9. It was ta Coates's We Were Eight Years in Power. Oh. It was very heavy and brilliant, but not a page turner. Mm. It's a lot to take on the history of racism in America in one sitting, you know? You've just answered my question, which was going to be, what are you guys reading now? So I am actually reading Things Fall Apart. I'm like a page every two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> pretty speedy for someone in their 30s quite frankly <laughs> well you know what john waters says guys if you go home with someone and they don't have books don't f them indeed he did say that john waters 2020 well we are proud public media here guys obviously obviously when we remember to be and you know that a show called the great american read just started on everyone's favorite adult entertainment channel right pbs right. <laughs> adult entertainment wow. i was like where are we going with that carly mm-hmm. what it is very adult it caters to adult themes mm. I like this rebrand. <laughs> okay, so there's the show, Great American Read, and the Great American Public, like 7,000 of them, was surveyed and asked what book was their very favorite. And so PBS has produced this list of 100 fiction novels that you can find on, insert hyperlink here, right. pbs.com forward slash Great American Read. And so PBS is now asking all of its viewers which of these 100 novels is their favourite. And you can go and vote on their site, which has produced quite an interesting list. Seriously. People have feelings. There is highbrow and there is lowest of lowbrow. There is Fifty Shades of Low. Yes. Indeed. You know, a lot of people already are kind of not happy about how this list looks. But this is what the great American public think. They have spoken. All 7,000 of them. So, you know, I have to admit, when this email came through, I was a little nervous because I went to the illustrious Oakland Public Schools. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I may not know some of these highbrow books on this list. I am so intimidated. And yet. And then I clicked and I was like, ah. Mm." Like Harry Potter. (laughs) I know that. (laughs) Compare and contrast. I was reading through. I don't know if it's just because I'm an immigrant. I haven't read a lot of those books. Okay, so then I don't feel so bad. For real. Did you count how many out of 100? Just to like figure out, am I smart? I'm batting it around five to ten right now. Like, Ooh. I was like, yes, crime and punishment. Yes, Frankenstein. And I kind of tape it off. <laughs> and we're done. 
I think I was around 22. That oh, MP3. That's 22. Yes. That's well, actually really impressive. I was an English major and then I went to grad school for writing. So that's I was an English major too. What is wrong with you? How dare you? I don't know. I mean, I've had a long dark night of the soul since reading this list, honestly. Shakespeare is disappointed in his country person. I must admit, I am dismayed and saddened by my inability to read a damn book these days, which is why I started by asking you guys whether you actually read damn books. Well, you know what I realized when I was going through this list is that I read, but I don't read as much fiction Ah. as I thought I did. So like most of the books, when I thought about them, I mean, I'm reading some heavy stuff. Like I read, you know, Between the World and Me Mm. by Ta-Nehisi Coates. I do need to get to this one that you've just talked about. Well, you got to be ready, though. Put aside seven months. You gotta be ready. Yeah. The new Jim Crow, also oh, lighthearted boy. read, Heavy. you know. And then anything by Malcolm Gladwell, I'm always on it. Oh, you, so Malcolm Gladwell. I, I have an, I have a bit of an obsession. I can read outliers like 35 times, <laughs> but I don't read as much fiction. The last fiction book that I read that I was super into was Kendrick by Octavia Butler, mm. which changed the way I thought about sci-fi. The power of the written word. The power. And I tell you, I was happy to see The Coldest Winter Ever on this list because I know that not a lot of people consider that to be sort of a highbrow literature pick, but I read it when I was I can't even remember. You know, I'm not going to tell you how old I was when I read it because that's none of your business. But when I read it, it was a turning point for me because it was the first time that I felt like someone had written in language and about experiences that were specific to me. You know what I mean? I had read Baldwin and I'd read Zora Neale Hurston. All those black experiences were sort of like in the past. And I felt like Sister Soldier was like, your narrative is important too. Would you say it changed your life? Mm, I don't know about that. But it made me feel seen. I would say if anything changed my life, it was those passages in Terry McMillan books that I snuck off my mama's shelf when I was a child. Oh, yes. And if we want to talk about some erotica that's not on the list, there is an author by the name of Zane. I don't know if you've ever heard of her. One Direction? (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Do tell, do tell. (laughs) She's an erotic novelist, and I read some of her books back in the day, so she also changed my life a time or two. I mean, joking aside, this is one versatile list. It is not all like the usual suspects, like I kind of expected. Mm. But yeah, people have their feelings about things like Fifty Shades of Grey and the Twilight series. But I don't know, it's always that argument, if someone enjoys reading, why should you begrudge them anything? Mm -hmm. It's like any time that I get pissy at adults for reading books which were written for children or young adults, I always think, "Mm, that's not really fair. I mean, a Twilight was written for young adults, but Fifty Shades of Grey was meant for the women in the supermarket who used to read those Fabio books. You know the, the ones. Oh, yes. Uh, yes. Fifty Shades of Grey was meant for women who take very long bubble baths mm-hmm. themselves, I'll just say that. Yes. <laughs> Emmanuel, your thoughts on this list? What's overrated on it? Come on. There must be something. There is something. Since you've read them all. Yeah, you are our resident I'm expert. I'm so smart. I've read 22 out of 100. <laughs> the Alchemist? Have you guys read this? No. Oh, the Paulo Coelho? Yes. So when I was a freshman in college, it was required for all of us to read it. And it was deemed very important. Hmm. And so we all show up and everyone is like, oh, my God, it was so meaningful. It basically was an exercise in pretending to be deep 101. (laughs) Okay. Fake deep. Yes, fake deep. I got more wisdom from the bottom of Snapple bottle caps from those facts Mm -hmm. than I did from this book. And that's on this list. And I saw that and was like, quit the lying. Let's stop pretending. (laughs) Well, Mm. what I want to know is, Manuel, did you pretend to be deep during those class discussions or did you tell it like it is? No, I was like, this is trash. And they were like, you don't belong here. You need to go back to high school and learn a thing or two. Are you sure you didn't raise your hand with a question that was really more of a statement? Mm. Mm, But do you think that there are books like that, that people just pretend to like to just kind of be all on the same wavelength? Of course, beyond. Like 
at least 75% of this list probably. Hmm. I remember when I was doing my tours when I knew I wanted to study English at college. And I think you have the same thing here when you go on a little tour of all the universities you might like to attend. And there was one dude that literally had like a 17th century novel sticking out of his back jeans pocket as he walked around. Come on, on, you're going to sit down at some point. You're going to go to the loo. That book's going to fall right out. (laughs) That was not for him. That was for you, girl. He wanted you to know. And we're still married. (laughs) Wow. Speaking of, well, this book wasn't on the list. But when I first started dating G, he did two things. One, before I went to sleep next to him, he asked me where my headscarf is. So he knew black girls. He was like, "Black, where's your headscarf? Stop front. And I was like, okay. This is my first time? This is the first time I spent the night. I laid down and he was like, you're not going to wipe your hair? And I was like, you know what? We are meant to be together. Because <laughs> you know what's up. You were like, you're a white man I can trust. Okay. <laughs> and then he gave me a copy of Secret Life of Bees. And he was like, this is a book that you really need to read. And I was like, mm. And you read, too. (laughs) It's a wrap. So I guess that book kind of changed my life, too. Off the market. That's you. Carly, what changed your life? Oof. I thought this question would be so much easier. And it was on my mind because this is actually the question, KQED, you know, the station we work for, Mm -hmm. guys. Yeah, that place. Like, yeah, we're asking everyone, like all audience members, what novel changed their life because there's this big PBS show, Great American Read. And I thought, haha, this is such an easy question to answer. It was not. Really? I really had to dig deep. And it made me do soul searching about how little I read now. And it really upsets me. I actually started doing some research into our dwindling attention spans, right? Mm Because I thought, well, it's 2018. I've been living with cell phone culture and technology for a long time now so it's not my fault I mean it's it's the culture it's what it's done to me that's the reason I can't read a book it's ruined us all exactly and you know that thing about our attention spans getting shorter mm-hmm. not true <gasps> okay wait a not minute not true no, I, I need to believe that nope as you would say citation needed I well let me just pick up the Snapple bottle <laughs> tell you <laughs> back last year the BBC officially debunked that myth that our attention spans have been affected by technology. Uh, Number one, because there is no such thing as a universal attention span. Everyone's different. Mm -hmm. And also, number two, this is not the kind of thing that scientists would ever really set out to quantify. So it turns out that study that everyone cites was kind of bogus. There has been no evidence. So what you're saying is there's no evidence, but that doesn't mean it's not happening. That's very true. I can rely on my truthiness, as Stephen Colbert would say, to believe that this is happening to me. I would love to blame someone else for my inertia (laughs) and my laziness, but there is no evidence that human attention spans are shrinking. We just have more distractions now. This is not physiological. I just want to look at my phone more than a book. That is my problem. Well, if you just want to look at your phone, there's a new app through certain libraries called Libby. You get Mm -hmm. it? It's like a girl's name, but it's also library. And you get to just, with the tap of the screen, you get to borrow any books, audiobook or ebook. And that's actually how I read Ta-Nehisi Coates' book. Oh, nice. Yeah, so you can still have your intense relationship with your phone and read. So you're saying I can still look at shite? Yeah. And also the, the Daily Mail mm-hmm. and <laughs> never the Daily Hell. Never. Yeah, best of both worlds. Yeah. <laughs> you still didn't answer the question, girl. Yeah. <laughs> what about what book changed my life? Yeah. I had a deep think and I actually thought, this is my genuine answer, 1984. Because I read it when I was around mm. 11 or 12. And before that, I really resented adults telling me to read like great works of literature. Like I really didn't want to because I didn't feel that I could relate to stuff that happened a long time ago. And this book showed me that the books you are meant to read, there's a reason people tell you to read them because they're actually great. Like I had notions that books written a long time ago and 1944 to me as a kid was like, like, 
gosh, ages. Centuries ago. Like, I thought they wouldn't feel real or human or relatable. And I remember picking up this book and just being stunned by, like, how immediate it felt. It was like finding those diary entries from, like, olden times. You know, when you read them, and you're like, oh, these people cared about stuff too. Like, they cared about pimples and sex, and it kind of makes sense. And talking about sex, I remember that sex scene in the Bluebell Field in 1984 oh. pretty well. So mm. clearly had an effect on me. You were like, I need to add more of this, please. My kink is now Bluebell. <laughs> <laughs> Cue the bathtub. We know what you did. Fifty Shades of Blue, am I right? So that's my answer. How about you guys? You know, we talk a lot about representation mattering on this show. Mm -hmm. And I almost didn't pick this because I'm like, I think the people get it, that representation matters. <laughs> you would hope. But in case that message has not been received. But also this is just true. Like, I can't pick a different book because this is what is real. Speak this your truth. changed my life. A little bit after The Alchemist, I was still a freshman, though. I was in a gay media class and we read Giovanni's Room by James Baldwin. Mm. And never before had I read something so beautiful and heartbreaking about the gay experience. And it doesn't end well, like most gay stories. Spoiler. From mm. pre right now. But it was like a spear in the eye in a good way. You know, it was painful, nice but it, it was yeah. formative. Also having James Baldwin as like a role model for like, oh, queer people can be creatives and amazing at what they do as well. It was just an amazing experience. I always think about that book. Hmm. I think people, when they get a question like this, they feel the pressure to say something super profound. Oh, this is the thing. Right? Because you want to sound like, yeah, oh my, I read and I relate. <laughs> you want to sound all like that. But the reality is that I think the book that matters the most to you or the books that matter the most to you are the ones that you continue to go back to and you remember, regardless of how highbrow or lowbrow other people may think they are. Small side note, this book, I liked this boy so much that I sent it to him. He lived in New York and I lived in Maryland. He kept it. We never met because this was live journal days. Obviously. We, whatever. Emmanuel at AOL.com. Yes. And years later, he ends up moving to Baltimore, where I'm from, and my boyfriend of today meets him. Mm hmm and they talk about how I sent him this Giovanni's Room book, and he refused what? to return it. Are you serious? Still mad to this day, and he's out in the world remembering that he kept it, and he's standing by that. But wait, because he liked it? He really liked it, or he just was trolling me. Like, <laughs> I know how much this means to you, and I'm not going to give you <laughs> Or he just needed something to prop Evan his door. <laughs> oh. Well, side note. Skyline High School in Oakland, I owe you a copy of Catcher in the Rye because I just found it when we moved recently. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll see you soon. Late fees. Oh, man, you are the unreliable narrator. So, Carly, Emmanuel. Yes. Hi. Hello. <laughs> so I think that our generation is probably one of the first to be bestowed with a prestigious honor, uh, that of the couch potato. Yes. I think of myself as more of a couch french fry. But... Ooh, yes. I'm a couch tater tot. Oh, oh I like that. Mm. You are a tater tot. Don't I seem like you that? You do. Crunchy mm. on the outside, soft on the inside. Yeah. So good. Many folks would argue that we were the first generation to be raised by television. I mean, I spent a lot of time with television myself as a kid. Yep. As such, we've all had the experience of loving a television show, only to have the writers pull some ridiculous plot move mm. that makes us hate it from then on. Have we ever. Have we ever. I got so invested. And then they pull the rug right from under you. It's like being broken up with. Exactly. Slowly over 12 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, today I thought we'd take some time to remember a few of the times that our favorite shows jumped the shark. 
Let's start with where the phrase comes from. Does anybody know? Yeah. Do you yeah. know, really? Yeah. It's the best story. My husband broke it down for me because I had no idea. First of all, the phrase jump the shark didn't really become popular until like, you know, the 1990s, early 2000s. However, it gets its origin from a 1977 episode of Happy Days. Happy yeah. Days. In which the Fonz literally follows up on a challenge to jump a tiger shark. He's really going to do it. He jet skis and jumps over a tiger shark. I'm just going to say I'm a huge fan of Fonzie. Like, I <laughs> hey. love it. Hey. My favorite bit is when he's looking in the mirror and he's about to adjust his hair and then he stops and just goes, hey, and his reflection. <laughs> he's adorable. And then years later, the actor who plays Fonzie mm-hmm. was on Arrested Development of all shows. Henry Winkler. And literally hops over a dead shark on a dock. And I've skipped breakfast, so I'm off to Burger King. See, well, uh, full circle. Yep. Full circle. Mm -hmm. And the show went downhill from then or no? We'll get to that later. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to talk about one of my favorite shows and a time that it jumped the shark. MTV's The Real World. (gasps) Which season? Seattle, when Steven slapped Irene. The slap heard around the world. Prior to this episode of The Real World, reality TV was just basically reality TV. They filmed people doing things. And I mean, they had their little stunts that they would do, but it wasn't like over the top. And on this episode in particular, Stephen got banished from the house. Him and Irene got into some big blowout. And as she was driving away, he literally ran out of the house, opened the car door, slapped her in the face. What? And then walked away. It was the slap heard around the world. Everybody talked about it. This was real? This, this happened was on television? real life. Go on, Stephen, let it go. If there was one button to press, that was the button to press. Now everything seems so tame. I feel like MTV was like, this is the formula. We need to get people beat up on camera. I recently saw a clip of a girl fighting with another girl on some reality show. Mm -hmm. She pukes in her mouth and throws it at the girl. Like, that's where we've gone. It started with the slap. started with the slap. And now vomit in the face. Wait a minute. On your big brother, do people have sex with each other? I mean, that is that is the point of reality. That's the thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember thinking that was shocking the first mm. time someone had sex on Big Brother. And now it's like, well, if there's only two of them, it's not worth this watching. This is what they do. Good Lord. So this one is going to get under your skin, Carly. Uh-oh. You know, you have a dynamic duo, and it's a show that we all love. And, you know, things are getting a little slow, so you got to kick it up a bit. Oh, no. I have the terrible feeling I know what you're going to say. So what do you do? You have one of the cast members abducted by aliens. Oh, I'm God. talking about the X-Files. <laughs> when Mulder was abducted by aliens. Seven years ago, it was their first case. Now. He's been taken again. It could be their last. It has to end sometime. Is this the end for Mulder? They're coming here, aren't they? They're only coming back. Don't miss the surprise ending. Mulder! The X-Files season finale. All new at 9 Fox Sunday. Yeah, after seven seasons, they ran out of ideas, and they just decided to take Mulder away. I remember when Scully got abducted by mm-hmm, aliens mm-hmm. because she was pregnant, and then obviously it would be a terrible thing to <laughs> right. see a, a pregnant Julian Anderson on television. And so the writers did what was natural and just had to be abducted. But wait, Mulder got abducted too? Mulder got abducted by aliens after seven seasons. That's a real kick in the yeah, teeth for Mulder. Yeah. And so then their partnership officially ended, and then he popped back in from time to time. Oh, I'm glad you mentioned the X-Files, because the part where Mulder and Scully got together, that for me was the, mm. the first shark that got vaulted over. I mean, you can't take two people with frightening natural sexual chemistry and then let them get it on. Well, <laughs> speaking of other couples who shouldn't have got together that did, 
Do we all know the show I Dream of Jeannie? It was before yeah. our time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. The show jumped the shark when the lead characters got married, despite the fact that they said a few seasons earlier that she would lose her magical powers if uh, they married. Oh, bending the rules. Yeah, so Jeannie and Master got married. They became a couple. She was supposed to lose her power. She didn't. I guess they forgot about that little tidbit <laughs> back. <laughs> they forgot that they told us that. That's called retconning. <laughs> I learned this from the ta Coates book. I, did, I looked up the definition. Okay, break it down. I just... Retconning means retroactive continuity. It means something that was true earlier in the season. Now you're just throwing that away and doing something else. Well, just like this. Pretend like that didn't happen. Why not? Yeah. If mm. that isn't my new favorite portmanteau word, I don't know what is. Retcon. Huh. Do we want to talk about the time that Becky on Roseanne was replaced? <laughs> oh, and just turned up as a totally different person. Yeah, as a totally different person. I remember that. Mm-hmm. And now they're both on the reboot, right? Yeah, I think they're trying to figure out how to work that, that out. Mm. Like, how do you even... I, I, I refuse. But they're trying to figure <laughs> out how to work that out. Also, Three's Company did something similar after Suzanne Summers left. They just started replacing her with blonde after blonde and pretended like everything was okay. Rude. Easy. So rude. And then we also know the most famous example of a cast replacement when Aunt Viv got replaced. <gasps> literally. By a woman who looked nothing we like her. don't talk about yeah, that. The light-skinned, dark-skinned Aunt Viv. And she's and, still bitter about it. And she's still bitter about it. Wouldn't you be? Yeah. So what about you guys? Are there episodes or TV, television shows that just broke your heart when they completely jumped over the shark? Oh, yeah. Felicity? Oh. And this is on my list, but I was like, listen. Well, I think you're thinking of a different moment. Oh, I'm, I'm thinking of two moments, but proceed. A lot of people say that when she cut her hair off, mm, it was jumping the shark. Mm. Who cares what her hair looks like? Season two was still good. Forget y'all. <laughs> what I take issue with is season four, they thought they had wrapped, but then the studio was like, oh, we need more episodes. Mm, and they did time travel where the only black character dies. Mm. Well, you know they're going to kill us off first. That's how it works. And then they just reverse it all. And it's like, oh, we just needed seven more episodes. Did not need to happen. Mm-mm. Still upset. Don't watch it. Still not over it. No. Well, this is what happens when shows take it too far. Sons of Anarchy, one of my favorite shows, also did the same thing. They didn't get popular until they decided to cancel the show. And so as a result, FX was like, hey, come back and make a few more episodes. And then things got outlandish. Oh, wait, that was a stunt then? Do you think that that might have been a a fake, fake cancellation? Mm, I don't know. I think they were genuinely ready to rap because it was a great show until FX had them come back and produce more seasons. At that point, Gemma killed her daughter-in-law and then things just got wacky. I'm sorry. As soon as you mention X-Files, the conspiracy theories come out in me. <laughs> My tinfoil hat. Well, that was fun walking down memory lane. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I'm just really bitter now and I don't want to go anywhere near a television. I know. That'll help with your reading. Exactly. Thanks a lot, guys. Rub it in, why don't you? <laughs> It's the big and the pick. Hey, the big and the pick. Hey. So another week, another pit that has to do with a Me Too jerk. Oh, I feel Several like this is a recurring time. segment at this point. Uh, they just can't take a break from being the worst. And then we have to come in here and talk about them. It's annoying, but we have to because <laughs> the Dragmeister Generals, we must drag them. They deserve. So the cult series Arrested Development is returning to Netflix. Never watched it. It's actually pretty good in the beginning, but now I'm not sure if I'm going to continue watching for the following reason. The cast has been doing all these interviews, including in that cast is Jeffrey Tambor. We've talked about on the show before. There have been some issues with him on the set of Transparent, Mm -hmm. which led to him getting fired. Mm. So a press tour with a noted social pariah. What could possibly go wrong? I can't Mm. foresee any issues with this. Everything could possibly go wrong. (laughs) So in a New York Times piece titled, We Sat Down with the Arrested Development Cast, 
it got raw. Mm. I saw that. Never clicked so quickly in my life. You're like, pay will be damned. So the interview starts off with softball questions of like, what is it like to return to the show after this many years? And even then, there are already signs of the dynamic in this group being a little bit off. So when asked if it was hard to snap back into character, Jessica Walter, who plays the matriarch, Lucille Bluth, starts to answer before immediately being interrupted by Will Arnett. No. To which Jessica Walter then says, I want you to say in this article, there's so much testosterone in this room. To which Will Arnett replies, but there's a lot of love. That kind of like lays the framework for like how the rest of this is going to go. Basically, it's like the men railroading over what she thinks or what she says Mm -hmm. and then throwing in a like, but we all love each other. So it's okay that we treat her like this. Exactly. It's all love. It's fine. It's all family. LOL. So things start to get real messy when the interviewer specifically asks about whether in light of everything that went down on the transparent set, Jeffrey Tambor expects to be in any future seasons because they filmed this before all that stuff went down. Oh, okay, Got it. And so Jeffrey Tambor says, I surely hope so. And then Jason Bateman pipes up, quote, well, I won't do it without you. I can tell you that. And there's no reason he shouldn't. So he makes it very clear what side he's on. (laughs) Male solidarity is a wonderful thing, right? And the crazy thing about that is, like, he was not on the transparent set. He has no idea what went down. He just is assuming, well, this guy's my friend. If he's my friend, he couldn't possibly do this. It's very, like, Lena Dunham Mm, when she recently came out to defend her friend against rape allegations. She was like, not him. It couldn't be him because we know him personally. We've never seen him do anything. I mean, the alternative is believing a woman. (laughs) It's going to imagine That is fraught and problematic, guys. there are a lot of abusers and rapists and monsters in the world, and most of them, if not all of them, have friends. Exactly. Yeah. You can be a monster to one person and fine to another person. That happens. I don't know why this is such a hard thing for people to process. If I heard about my friend doing something awful, I would try to get all of the details mm. and not just assume, oh, well, we always kiki and have a drink and nothing ever happened. Also, Jeffrey Tambor relating to other men, I'm sure, is a different vibe than him relating to yeah. women. Then the interviewer brings up some stories closer to the Arrested Development set by asking, quote, from the Hollywood Reporter interview, you, Jeffrey Tambor, talked about how you yelled at directors, assistant directors, the transparent creator, Jill Soloway. You even said at one point you lashed out at, and then here, Jessica Walter says her own name. Oh. And then instead of people being like, oh, let's process this, all the men laugh. And as if the laughing isn't bad enough, Jason Bateman who apparently felt he hadn't already said enough, added the following, quote, which we've all done, by the way. We've all just yelled and screamed at each other? Christ, I used to like Jason Bateman. Well, that's the thing. I'm disheartened because he's like my, I I love Jason Bateman. Like, that's like, I have an unnatural obsession with him as a comedian. Like, I feel like he is the poster boy for just like stock white boy comedian. And he plays the most basic white male characters, but he finds a way to make them funny. So when I found out he was a part of this business, I was truly, truly disappointed. I've been repping Jason Bateman to anyone who'll listen as like an impeccable straight man. Like the best straight man in the business. No longer. Oh, it's bad. He says things like, not to belittle it, but... He says that twice. (laughs) Which means you're belittling it. Not to belittle what happened. That says that again. Not to excuse it, but... Hmm. Not to say that you know you, meaning Jessica, had it coming, but... Oh, what? And then all the dudes take turns deflecting and joking in a way to like comfort and defend Jeffrey Tambor. And what the person who was verbally abused feels is not important apparently they're just like talking all over her and being like oh well we're all family and we all yell at each other and this is just what being an actor is about and then the following happens it's a very 
amorphous process, this, this sort of bullshit that we do, you know, making a fake life. It's a weird thing, and it is a breeding ground for um, atypical behavior, and certain people have certain processes. But that doesn't mean it's acceptable, and no, the point I, is that things are changing and people need to respect each other differently. I, I just realized in this conversation, I have to let go of being angry at him. He never crossed the line on our show with any, you know, sexual whatever. Verbally, yes, he harassed me, but I, he did apologize. I have to let it go, and I, I have to give you a chance to, to, you know, for us to be friends again. Absolutely. But it, it's, it's hard, because honestly, Jason says this happens all the time. In like almost 60 years of working, I've never had anybody yell at me like that on a set. And it's hard to, to deal with it, but I'm, I'm over it now. I just let it go right here for the New York Times. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't give it up for anybody else. See, they're still joking, though. Still they're joking. They're still joking, and they're still laughing. As a woman cries in front of them, and they tell her that what she feels isn't that big a deal. And then they continue to tell her that throughout the whole thing. And she keeps trying to, you can hear the actress that plays Maybe pipe up and say, mm-hmm. hey, no, that's still not okay. And, and then, then they just talked over. <laughs> talk over her. Like, oh, what you and other women think about this isn't important. Jeffrey's our friend. And we're doing a future season with him no matter what. If you don't want to be a part of that, then bye. We don't believe you, basically, mm. is what I got from that whole thing. And can I just say, it is monumentally distressing to hear Jessica Walter crying into a mic about this. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. know about you, I can't listen to that without a kind of grimace on my face. The fact that in 60 years in the business, this was the worst experience she had and they didn't even care to discuss it or feel bad about it or appalled by it. They're just like, oh, you know, get over it. They're, they're gaslighting her, and it's crazy to read it in a transcript format. Ugh. Oh, it's like some sick play, and like the burden coming onto her as well, where she mm-hmm. says, "I'm forgiving you now for the New York Times." Well, I think that was the part that was hard for me was that you could still hear her trying to figure out a way to take ownership for it in some way. Like it happened, but I'm going to minimize it so that we can move forward, so that we can work or whatever. Meanwhile, all of them are like, "Kiki, ki, ki. Yeah. Well, the tune has changed today, though, right? Well, now Jason Bateman is apologizing and he wrote this thing and he said, I'm sorry, that's how it came across. Mm -hmm. Sorry if you were offended, guys. He basically, it's be like when Chance the Rapper tried to defend Kanye and then Twitter came for him and he was like, actually, I'm going to have a couple seats right now. (laughs) The creepiest part for me is when Jessica Walter is saying, but I know that I have to get past this and forgive you. And then Mm. Jeffrey Tambor says, absolutely. Mm. As if he's entitled to be absolved of whatever he's done. But he doesn't even believe the thing he's done is bad. It's just a mess. I don't think I'll be tuning in because now it's just icky. I mean, and it's, it's not it's, funny enough to overcome all of this. It sounds almost like too flippant to say, and the last season of Arrested Development wasn't even that good anyway. <laughs> and I know that that's what, like, that was a problematic thing around the Louis C.K. stuff when that came out, when some people were saying, well, he, his, his movie's crap anyway. And that's not the point. Mm. His movie could be the best movie in the world. Arrested Development could still be the funniest show on TV, which, by the way, it is not. And that is totally beside the point. Well, never watched it. Won't be starting. (laughs) Don't start now. All right. Let's leave that in the past and move on to a peak of the week that I think we'll all enjoy. I want to climb that mountain with you. The future is Gen Z. Mm. We know this. And we've learned after Parkland and after our Gen Z episode on this very podcast, these kids are intelligent, politically active and motivated, and also hilarious. Yeah. Because it's the end of May, it's yearbook season, and all of these yearbook quotes are coming out. And it became a hashtag on Twitter, and I picked out 
my favorites yes, to share today. We'll start with a girl named Betshina, who went from zero to 100% real talk <laughs> in one sentence, writing, anything is possible when you sound Caucasian on the phone. Yes. <laughs> I, I learned that lesson when I was a receptionist back in the day. Yes. I'll oh, do God. wonders. I have my voices. A girl named Miranda used her limited amount of space to resist censorship. Quote, no, Miranda, your senior, quote, can't be fries before guys, dad. <laughs> <laughs> a girl named Lucky, not Britney Spears, left oh. a coded message as her, quote, to all the teachers that never taught me a thing, Stranger Things, season two, episode five, 3508. So I obviously opened up Netflix. Obviously. To decode whatever she was telling her teachers. In the codex. And this is what her message was. Son of a bitch. You know, you really no help at all. You know that? Hey, language. I love that she circumvented the censorship yeah. by just having Stranger Things deliver her message for her. Yeah. yeah. And also, she delivered her citation. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it was needed. She delivered. Another person who delivered a citation, Krista, made a big announcement with this quote. Grey's Anatomy, season five, episode six, 3940. And that Shondaland moment revealed itself to be the following. <laughs> I am so gay. I am so, so, so gay. I am extremely gay. <laughs> yes. She's coming out. Dun, dun. She wants the world to know. Exactly. Yes. Yana preached the body positivity gospel with this. Quote, remember, the more you weigh, the harder you are to kidnap. Stay safe, eat cake. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you protect yourself. Oh, these kids. A girl named Madison quoted one of our wisest philosophers, Katya from RuPaul's Drag Race, obviously. obviously. Mm-hmm. Shoot for the moon. If you miss, you'll die in space, which is cool. <laughs> <laughs> An anonymous Muslim teen left her ignorant community the following message. Quote, I hate having to explain to everyone why I wear a hijab, but if everyone must know, Voldemort has possessed me and his face is living on the back of my head. <laughs> Pop off the anchor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and finally, Carl got a little meta with his. Quote, I am rather appalled at the limit of characters for this. I am certain that I cannot fit all my thoughts of these last four years into such few kids. (laughs) So good on you, Gen Z, for just being the best and making me laugh in dark times. If you want more of these quotes, there will be a whole post on kqd.org slash pop. And because it's always good to have more than one palate cleanser, Mm. because there's a lot of messed up stuff going in the world, we need it. I have a bonus mini peek for the listeners out there who enjoy appreciating a handsome gentleman. Mm. Peaklet. For the last several months, <laughs> the only prince anyone's been talking about is Prince Harry. Wow, we know wow. this. But wow. we should all be really talking about Prince Carl Philip of Sweden. <gasps> oh, I've seen a photo. Yes, you have. Oh, we've all seen a photo. <laughs> yes. On top of being smoking hot, he also races cars, uses his graphic design skills to pay homage to his mom and raise money for charity. Mm. And he overcame bullying as a child for being dyslexic. I said all of that so that I won't seem superficial (laughs) when I say the following, which is, do yourself a favor, Google Prince Carl Philip swimsuit. Oh. You will be happy. Your week will be brighter. Unless you don't thirst for men like that, if you're more into women, Google 90s Winona Ryder. Yes. There's something for everyone. Everyone. And speaking of tasty things, this week we're riding out on a song called Taste by a performer called Rye. And if you're not familiar with his music, it's basically the equivalent of someone slowly and sensually dragging silk across your body until oh you God. climax. Oh, my Whoa. God. This, this took a turn, honey. Jeez. It is ear foreplay. <laughs> so without further ado, let's steam up the studio with Taste by Rye.
This episode was edited by me with help from Ashley Ann Krigbaum. All original music is by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. And as always, our podcast papa is David Marcus. Until next time, you can find us on social media. I'm Excuse My Beauty without the first D on Twitter with the first D on Instagram. I'm at Teacup in the Bay on all relevant platforms, apart from LinkedIn. <laughs> and I'm Jimmy Just Says on Instagram and Twitter. Message us. We're lonely. Speak for yourself. <laughs> Time for more.